Money FM 89.3, best of drive time. Money FM 89.3, best of drive time. Money FM 89.3, good afternoon. It is drive time with Elliot Danka, Timothy Go, and Chua Tian Tian. Time now to turn our attention to headlines out of Europe, Turkey, and Syria. Of course, uh, struck by two horrific earthquakes. Uh, the aftershocks, of course, uh, still ongoing. That's right. Uh, that's one of the things we are looking out for. And of course, how the president responds to this and look after this will also feature on his uh, re-election campaign, the election coming in just a few months. Yeah, how the government uh, opposition camp and the international community respond to the earthquake's devastating consequences will likely weigh heavily on its outcome. Plus, it also raises the question of how Europe should manage relations with Ankara in the uh, rocky months ahead. Well, online to help us out this afternoon is Antonio Fata who is Professor of Economics at INSEAD. Good afternoon, Professor. How are you? Okay, how are you doing? Very good, sir. Let's start off with the earthquake situation. I mean, it is one of the biggest tests for President uh, Tayyip Erdogan amid the cost of living crisis. What are your thoughts on the potential for elections to be delayed then? I mean, it's hard to tell because obviously there's still a lot of news happening about the earthquake itself and the sort of recovery. So far, what we heard from, from Erdogan himself is that he's not keen on postponing the elections, that elections should go as planned. So that's the only thing we know so far. We don't see any indication that the elections will be postponed. I mean, of course, given the state of the country, you could imagine a delay. But, but so far, I, I don't see any evidence that he's planning to play that car or that it's going to be a necessity to, to move the elections to a later date. OK, you have the president here, Erdogan, who's been, well, a subject of a lot of criticism, of course, from from people in Turkey, eh? You've got the economy, the inflation, the lira collapsing as well. But what are his chances in the next uh, election? You have to remember he survived many crises. I mean, Turkey has gone through some rocky times in recent years. And and he's someone who has built his brand. He has managed to control the media and the narrative in ways that he has been protected from some of this criticism. So yes, if you look at it from the outside, there's lots of things going wrong from, from inflation, from a currency depreciating, and now an earthquake and people sort of uh, complaining about the way he's responding to it. But I, I mean, I wouldn't count him as dead yet. I think he's in a, he, he has survived many situations like this. And, and I think it's not easy to read sort of the, what the average voter thinks like in Turkey and sometimes that's in crisis of time, people go for what they know, even mm. if what they know might not look ideal. Mm. Financially, and the potential disruption to their economy, could we consider this similar to the one that happened of a similar magnitude back in 1999? I believe this struck the northwest industrial heartland of Turkey. Uh, Your thoughts on the similarities? Could it pan out the same way? I mean, it's certainly large enough to say it might be equivalent, but these are things that we only find out the true damage a lot afterwards, right? Mm-hmm. Right now we have the videos, the images, which are obviously very distressing, but, but it's very hard to put a number from an economic point of view. It, it is not a minor event for sure. You cannot just say this is not going to affect the, the economy. Of course it will. Now the reconstruction and, and the efforts to rebuild what has been sort of torn down by the earthquake, uh, I mean, that's part of the contribution to future activity because it needs to be rebuilt. But from a fundamental point of view, you lost not just human lives, but you also lost the capital 
that is associated with buildings, with factories. So this is a real shock to the economy. Let's talk about the global response to the earthquake uh, in Turkey and in Syria. We saw that NATO, I believe it was the NATO headquarters, flying their flags at half mass, uh, you know, to to commemorate the lives lost for for Turkey. But how will they navigate around the diplomacy disaster diplomacy in in sending aid to places like like Syria as well? I mean, in principle, I mean, in times like this, everyone unifies. People don't want to talk too much about politics. Mm-hmm. In principle. The reality, of course, is that the area of Syria where the earthquake has hit is, of course, close to the border with Turkey. And that area is an area which is under dispute, meaning Turkey somehow might claim that some of that area belongs to them. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's also some militia in the Turkish side which opposes the government and and wants sort of their own independence. So it's a complex area from a political point of view. And, and my understanding is the Syrian government has only allowed one entry point for any type of aid to Syria, which is not ideal from a logistical point of view because you want to have as much flexibility as possible. But, but that's an outcome of, of how complex that area is. I think that's just going to create some difficulty for, for the humanitarian response to reach to where it has to. And I think that's unfortunate. Uh, it, it will get there. People will not stop sending support, but, but it might not be as efficient as one would like. Mm. Just to expand a little bit on that, I mean, you talked about that one entry point into Syria. It's funny because uh, European Commission uh, has said Syria has asked for assistance from the EU. That plus the fact that you've got to manage relations with Ankara. The, how should I say, social media criticism is surely going to play a huge part when it comes to the recovery here. Yes, but again, I, th- I think the European attitude is is one of helping from a humanitarian point of view. Europe will never play politics with this. But Mm. on the other side, I think there's the complication of, of, again, how many entry points I allow in a way that I feel my country is safe and they might put restrictions. Now, social media does not matter for Syria. And I think in Europe, again, I think the European attitude is going to be as straightforward as it gets, which is here is our help. And now let us know what is the easiest way to get there. But if the government puts restrictions, the Europeans have to live with those restrictions. Do you think, though, that the, the Syrian government, Syrian president for that matter, w- would try to use this to his own advantage uh, to get some concessions out of the West? No, I, I think he doesn't have a lot of advantage here. Like if he says, don't send me aid, the Europeans will just say, well, we did our best, right? And so th- there's very little power he has here. He can, of course, use the event, as many times the governments would do, to claim that, I don't know, they are the saviors, whatever good happens is them versus someone else. He can create fictitious enemies. He can do that, mm-hmm. but, but he's not going to get any concession from anyone, given that he's in the weakest possible position. He needs the aid. Mm-hmm. He, he needs these countries to come to, to his help. Professor, let's uh, switch tracks and talk about the Russia-Ukraine situation where Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky is asking for the UK to provide fighter jets to Ukraine, something that uh, other Western allies have so far declined to do. What's on the cards right now? I, mean, I think what has happened since the war started, the NATO countries were, were very careful at the beginning because obviously Russia was very clear that NATO could not send weapons, could not send obviously troops, otherwise they would be getting involved. So I think that 
lot of reluctance at the beginning to help Ukraine with, with weapons. There was a lot of funds going to Ukraine. Now, I think that has over time uh, gone away. I think you can see with the discussion around tanks, mm-hmm. there's now commitments by many countries to send some of the modern tanks uh, produced in Germany. Even Germany would send some tanks, maybe not tomorrow, but it will get there. So I, I think the conversation has escalated to a point where now we talk about uh, planes as well. Now, it's not signed. The UK has not said that they're going to send anything tomorrow again. But I think, why not? Why not start training some of the Ukrainian flight pilots to to the possibility that at some point they get some of these planes? I think that's going to happen. I think the NATO countries are trying to send a message to Russia that they're not worried anymore of the, of their threats. Um, now, that's an escalation of the conflict, but, but, but it's one that we've been seeing already for months. So to me, this is not complete news. But, but it's going in the same direction. More countries getting involved uh, and more sophisticated weapons getting involved in the conversation. So with all these more sophisticated weapons in the conversation, doesn't it risk escalating this conflict even more? We're about a year into this now with no sign of anything ending anytime soon. I mean, I think we knew that a year ago that this would be happening. Why? Because Russia took some of the territory of Ukraine early on because there was a little bit of a surprise factor. Plus, Ukraine was not prepared. Plus, Russia is a bigger country and with a bigger army. Mm-hmm. And now that they've taken a certain territory, they don't get any more advances. They, they're not moving forward because they cannot. Russia has shown that their army is not as powerful as we thought. Mm-hmm. But they can maintain the current territory unless Ukraine gets involved into some serious, serious counter-offensive attack, which will be, of course, an escalation of the war. But I'm not sure Ukraine is ready, at least in the short run. They started slowly getting back some towns here and there, but but it would take them a a big attack to get back some of those areas. And until they get it back, the war is not over, because Ukraine is not willing to concede any defeat on any part of their territory as they should. Mm. So I think this is going to be a long conflict. I think now it's a question of who's willing to sort of stage a bigger attack. Mm. And, and that's going to be a question of strategy. Again, I'm not an expert on, on fighting wars, so I'm yeah. not sure what is the right thing to do. But I think that's what we're going to see over the coming months, maybe years. Professor, just a final question and, and slightly a different perspective to this this conflict, right? Because early on we were talking about the UK providing fighter jets to Ukraine. Uh, their Prime Minister Rishi Sunak uh, ordering the Defence Secretary to look at ways that the UK can help with regard to this fighter jet situation. I, I know we talk a lot about UK's economy. I mean, is there a danger here that uh, Britain's going to write checks that it can't cash? No, I mean, I think this is not a financial issue. I think mm. from a financial point of view, the aid going from the UK to Ukraine is so small compared to the other economic issues in the UK. Okay. You might not be able to send the planes because of strategic reasons. So you might say, I'll do my best. And then you realize, again, it's a risky move. But financially, this is not this is not big compared to anything else that is going on in the UK at this point. All right. That was Antonio Fatas, Professor of Economics at INSEAD. Professor, as always, appreciate your time. Take care and have a great evening ahead. Thank you. Bye-bye. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.